those of you who may be finding your seat right now uh, in, in our state-of-the-art, brand-new, technologically advanced, 100-year-old uh, bleachers, feel free, now that the kids are gone, to trickle your way down here and, and fill in some of these, some of these empty seats. Uh, you won't be greeted by, by uh, the classic line from Forrest Gump, seats taken. As a matter of fact, uh, we'd be glad to have you with us down here. So feel free at any point to move down here. I know my back's not making it back there, so it is what it is. Well, good morning to you all. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Corey. I am the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and we are pleased to have you with us. And I get the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you all this morning. If you hit the lottery, yep, if you hit the lottery, what would you do first? Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you would do if you hit the lottery. What's the first thing you would do? Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. I heard, I heard a lot of things. I heard, I heard I would buy a house. I heard I would buy a car. I heard, I heard hey, pay off student loans in the mighty name of Jesus. We rebuke Sally Mae. Um, yeah, get, get out of debt. Yep. I heard somebody with conviction say, quit my job. Amen <laughs> to that as well. I think for me, uh, this, is, this is a fun conversation that, uh, that, that my wife and I have. Uh, every once in a while, um, is, is what, what would you do if, if you hit the lottery? I think for me, um, I, I have like two versions of that, right? Like I have like the version of like what I would like to think that I would do, and then I have the version of like if I'm not a pastor, I'm not responsible for a group of people, and I can just forget where I'm from for just a minute, I got a whole nother list of things that I would do, Right? I would like to think that I would, that I would knock this place down, uh, uh, but not to, not to keep it uh, rubble and dust, but to build a brand new, uh, a big, beautiful facility for all of us to enjoy with like eight basketball courts and, and, and an auditorium where we don't have to set up every Sunday morning. And uh, No, I'm playing. It's just, it's just something fun to think about, right? It's just something fun to think about. Next time, uh, you're in, I, see, I see a lot of uh, new faces. I am to only assume, based on uh, the audience, that we have a whole lot of visiting uh, freshmen. So first of all, welcome to uh, Malone. We're excited to have you here. Welcome. My, my, my apologies to, uh, to administration who may be in the room, but more importantly, welcome to my city. Welcome to Canton, Ohio. Welcome to the Hall of Fame city where God is doing something dope. Love it. We love, we love having you here. But um, so, so when you're getting to know you classes, right, with your, with your CAs or with your introduce yourself and tell where you're from, maybe next time somebody gives you the option, make the question, hey, what would you do if you won the lottery? You learn a lot about people when they tell you what they would do when they win the lottery. Yesterday, I got lost in this sinkhole uh, on the Internet of reading all the stories of what happens to people when they win the lottery. And I think what surprised me, I'd like heard it, right? Like you, you grew up like, well, money can't buy happiness, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you want to believe that to be true, um, if, especially if you have no money. But what I, what I learned uh, yesterday from reading all of these stories um, was a surprising amount of people 
uh, shared what great misery winning the lottery brought them. One story hit me in particular coming out of the UK. It's a story about a, a married couple. Their names are Martin and Kay Tot. They won a $5 million jackpot, but lost the ticket. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's how I felt too. All right, I feel a little less bad about reading all these stories now. You guys are sucked in too. They lost the ticket. Then they went to uh, the company that was responsible for paying out the lottery, and they're like, look, we had the ticket, but see, what had happened was, the way my brain is set up, I had lost it. And so the company uh, launched a full-scale investigation, which I feel like, uh, in my opinion, that's generous in and of itself, right, for them to even investigate it. But they launch a full-scale investigation, and seven long weeks later, they found out that this, this couple's claim that they had the winning ticket was legitimate. However, it was outside of the 30-day time period you have to claim your prize, and so they got nothing. Kay taught, told the media, Thinking you're going to have all that money is really liberating. Then having it taken away has the opposite effect. It drains the life from you and puts a terrible strain on your marriage. It was the cruelest torture imaginable. Our series right now is called For the Crown, a series where we dive into the reward of salvation that God promises us. Last week, we talked about how our reward, we, we answered the question, what is our reward? I, I, I hear about the sacrifice. I hear about, about all the things that it takes, the tough grind of the Christian faith per se. But, but, but what about the reward? Like, what do I get in return? And we talked about how God himself is our reward. That God gives himself to us in three parts. He gives himself to us in his son who washes our sins clean and extends us grace and mercy even though we deserve nothing. Secondly, God gives, us, gives himself to us through his very presence that is waiting for us for eternity, that is waiting for us in heaven, that in this afterlife there is no more sickness, there is no more pain, there is no more tears of sadness because we will be in his perfect presence forever. And then finally for this in-between time, God gives us, gives us, gives himself to us, why is that so difficult this morning? Gives himself to us through his spirit which empowers us to overcome the world. So my question to start this morning is if the feeling of getting five million dollars is liberating, then how freeing here and now should it be knowing that we have an infinite reward waiting for us in eternity? And yes, waiting for that reward can feel like torture. But if we have the ticket, and we're not going to lose the ticket, then when can we claim our reward? If you would, join me in the epistle of 1 Peter. It's towards the back of your Bibles, almost to the end. It's one of the little books that you might 
gloss over. Last week, we started in chapter 1, or chapter one verse 1, made our way through verse 5. So if you would, join me in 1 Peter. This is the first chapter. We'll begin in verse 6. If you have your Bibles with you, it's towards the back of your book. If you have your cell phones with you, it's towards the bottom of your Bible app. And please feel free to do that if you can fight the temptation of the devil to stay off of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and or Snapchat. You feel free to join us. For the rest of us, it's right up here on the screen. Let's start in verse 6. Let's go, let's go to verse 9 to start us off. Here we go. Peter writes, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Whew, man, y'all think I read fast. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show up that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Verse 8, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This is the word of our Lord, and it is true. So this part of Peter's letter, uh, believe it or not, is meant to be a comfort. It's meant to be uh, a comfort to, to his audience, to the believers, because Christians at this time, to put it lightly, they were going through some things. They were going through through a few things. They were the target of, of serious persecution because the ruler of the empire at the time preferred for himself to be worshipped as a god. He preferred for himself to be seen as the supreme authority. He preferred for himself to have statues and for all the attention to be on him. But see, the Christians did this crazy thing where they didn't justify the emperor's actions. Rather, they took a radical stand and said, uh-uh, no, no, that's not how this is going to go down. We're not going to, to worship you as a god. We're not... We're not going to bow to the powerful authority of an emperor and because of which they were treated as if they had committed treason and as if they weren't welcome citizens at all. Christians also wouldn't yield to Roman ideals of strength and power. Ideals that would, say, that would say, if you want something, then take it, and if you can't, you're not strong enough. You should, you should spend your time building yourself up. You should spend your time being strong because Romans are strong, and Rome is great, and so we are great. But then Christians would partake in bold actions of self-sacrifice and service to those in need. Later on, there would be this, this, this massive fire, this massive fire that it's uh, a little ambiguous as to how the fire started or rather who started the fire. Um, but I, I can tell you, tell you that on behalf of Christians, uh, I'm not going to do it. I was going to do it. I was going to say, we didn't stop, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's ambiguous as to how the fire started. It destroyed multiple districts in the Roman Empire. And when the ruler of that time had to answer 
for that fire, he pointed the finger at Christians. Said it's their fault. Christians set that fire. And overall, Christians held themselves to a standard that was so much higher than the way of living mainstream culture promoted. As a result, they were harassed, they were assaulted, and at times they were murdered. But what Peter wants Christians to know here, as he more explicitly states in later parts of this letter, is that all of these trials are well within the plan of God. All of these circumstances, all of these situations are well within the sovereignty of our Lord. Peter uses the picture of gold being refined. When gold is in process, it is, it is put in the fire because what the fire does is it, is it boils to the surface. It brings to the surface all of the imperfections and impurities so that, so that the author can just scrape it right off and that what's left is only the most precious part of the gold to be molded into what the creator believes it intent, its intent should be. These trials just get us closer to looking like what God originally intended. When everything gets stripped away from us, when everything we know or believe gets put to the test, when our feet are being held to the fire, when the proverbial gun is at our head to profess what we actually believe, it is in those moments that we become closer to what God originally intended us to look like. These moments cause us to be self-aware and humble. These trials cause those things, and when we stay strong and keep our faith in the hope that's coming to us, when we keep our hope, when we keep our strength, not in this certain circumstance, but in the promise that is on its way, we please the one who is choosing to share his inheritance with us. And how much more does he have to share with us than copping out has to give us instantly? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're being attacked. You feel as if your entire life is being attacked by some sort of enemy, maybe the enemy. You feel like you're being attacked by coworkers, employers, employees. You feel attacked by family members and people you thought were friends. Guys, this crazy thing happens that when we're trying to live right, when we're trying to serve the Lord, when we're working hard to build up our community, people from all over the place come out of their little crevices to show mad hate. Isn't that right, Chester family? People from all over the place trying to be Facebook heroes come from all over the place to share their hate. We can't let that distract us from what God has already promised. Their hatred, their harsh words, their insignificant but, but, but cruel actions cannot take that ticket away from us. It cannot take 
what is coming to us away. It can't halt salvation. It can't stop the coming of God's kingdom. Nothing can stop the coming of God's kingdom. And so when it gets here, when it comes to us, when it reaches out to us, finally, will you have folded or will you, battered, bruised, and beaten, be able to joyfully look into the eyes of our Savior and hear him reply, good job. I'm proud of you. We can't let the devil lie to us and convince us that God has forgotten who we are, where we're at, or that our reward is somehow delayed. It's not that at all. Sometimes God allows these things to happen to get us ready for the reward that's coming. To get us to look just a little more pure, just a little bit more like Jesus when we get to stand before him. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not ready to stand before the Lord. Huh, some of you will get that on the way home. But it's not just all in tomorrow. Let's keep reading. Let's jump to verse 10. Peter says this, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about. The prophets, you know those dudes with the crazy good connection to God, like they supernaturally like hear God like better than anyone else, and they're like super in tune, right? Even they wanted to know more about it when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you, prepared for us. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it is all so wonderful, I love this part, one of my favorite verses. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So there's another part of this reward that nobody but God saw coming. There's another part that the prophets were trying to dig into. When they would see their visions or hear their words, they'd, they'd be like, well, God, give me, just a, give me just a little more peek because I feel like there's another piece there and I want to see it, but God's like, it's not for you right now. It's for them. It's so crazy that even the angels are lined up on heaven's gates looking down into earth like, hey, whew, y'all see this? This is bananas. What are bananas? The part of the reward before unforeseen is found right there when Peter writes, and now the good news has been announced to you, you Jews, you Gentiles, you anyone who's going to hear this, by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. What are you talking about, Peter? Peter's my dude. He's talking about himself. He's referring back to his own sermon at Pentecost. He's referring back to Acts chapter 2, where he, under the authority and the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, stood up in front of the believers and said, yo, these prophecies, they've been fulfilled. What you just witnessed was all the OT prophecies fulfilled in that dude who was dead a second ago. Now he's not no more. And furthermore, 
It will continue to be fulfilled. Praise God this isn't the end of the day. Praise God that it will continue to be fulfilled as those who believe find their satisfaction, not in the things of this earth, but in God's church that he has brought together. This good news says that God's people, not just the nation of Israel, whoo, thank God. Some of y'all never felt like outsiders before, but those of you who have ever felt like an outsider or an unwanted, you feel me on this one. Praise God that God's people, not just the people of Israel, but you too are invited in. This good news says that you will dream dreams. That you will prophesy. That you will live with the power and the conviction of the Spirit of God. The blessing of a shared inheritance is to be shared now. The redemptive work of our Lord on earth is to be shared now. The wild and crazy things we see Jesus do can be tapped into Now, the good news of this section is that God does not leave us to suffer under harsh conditions until he's ready to come pick us up. Instead, he gives us a taste of the inheritance, a promise of the beautiful things to come in his Holy Spirit, which now allows us in the midst of a fallen world while we're being refined to reflect to those around us an alternative way of living. The Spirit empowers the believers who are anxiously waiting on heaven to experience heaven in small part now, and then to also show heaven to the unbelievers around us. When you win the lottery, you, you, you have an option on whether or not you want to receive your prize in a lump sum, meaning all at once, or if you want to get the monthly installments. Now, I'm sure... With the amount of financially savvy people we have in the room, there is a right answer to that question. So I'm not going to offer what I think. But those are your options. Lump sum or installments. Jesus has already punched our ticket. We will receive an inconceivable lump sum one day. A lump sum so big our tiny minds can't possibly comprehend. But the part previously unknown is that we can start receiving our installments of that lump sum inheritance today. And those installments here on earth are for us to invest. They're for us to invest in our family. They're for us to invest in our neighborhood and in our community because God's riches never run out. There's room for all of us to enjoy The north side of the city can have their million-dollar renovations because down here on the south side, we are the recipients of a greater reward with greater impact. Your money may change the aesthetics of our city, but the reward we share will change lives now, today. So what do I do? What do I do? How do I tap into that? You keep reading. Isn't that always the answer? Verse 13. That's a sermon in and of itself. We won't go there today. Verse 13. So prepare your minds for action. 
and exercise self-control. Even in the face of that, yep, even in the face of them. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. What Peter is saying here, if he will allow me to paraphrase, is I need you to start living like you've got an inheritance. I need you to start living like it. You have been graciously given a reward. You should be in debt. On your own, you are bankrupt. But instead of going to forever jail for being a fraud, you are given a winning lottery ticket. And that should compel you to want to obey the commands of he who extended said grace and mercy. The scriptures say you must be holy now as I am holy. Holy translates set apart. Set apart. We must be set apart. We must live differently. We must live like we have the inheritance that we have. Peter is communicating to his audience, yo, we don't let the Roman Empire set the standard of morality for us. God sets our standard of morality. We do not glorify adultery, pettiness, or promiscuity. We serve a God who extends unconditional love to every person. We are not devoted to an earthly definition of fairness, but we imitate the model of justice shown to us by Jesus. And when the rest of the world wants to pull us back into our old ways of living, because my, 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 how wild those are, we remind ourselves of the great sacrifice made so that we can share in something greater than the temporary pleasures of this world. I'm reminded of a story. It's found in the gospel. John, I believe it's chapter 5. Forgive me if I got that wrong, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a crippled man who finds himself next to uh, this pool in a, in a town called Bethesda. And, 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 and in this pool, this pool is well known to have healing powers. It's well known that if you have some sort of physical ailment that you can be dipped into this pool and you will be healed. He's crippled. He's, he's a lame man. He can't walk on his own. He would need someone to pick him up and put him in the pool. And so as a result, for 30 some odd years, he's been sitting right next to the pool, not actually getting in. Then Jesus came in and said, sir, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? The lame man looks back at him and says, of course, I want to be healed. Who wouldn't want to be healed? But see, there's this thing where I am here and the pool is over there and there's all these people who can walk that get in front of me. And I, I, I'd like to picture that there was like a moment of silence in between that and the next verse. I'd like to think that Jesus got just, just, just a little snippy, just a little bit, just for a minute, and said, sir, but I put the pool right there. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, but 
I'm right here. Well, yeah, you're right there, but I put the pool right there. So Jesus, with or without snarkiness, up to you to interpret, says, get up. Pick up your mat, and I'm going to need you to walk. And what do you think that man does? He got up, and he walked. Later on, after a little bit of a confrontation and a scuffle, Jesus sees that man in the temple. Hey, I know you. You were that man who couldn't walk 20 minutes ago. Now you're walking. I need you to live like I helped you walk. Isn't that just like us? We believe in this reward. We believe in the goodness and the perfection of eternity. We believe that all of our ailments will be gone in heaven. But we choose to look too closely at our own tough circumstances and let that determine our actions rather than looking up and realizing the opportunity has been laid before us to overcome the adversity now. We fail to remember that our reward is accessible now. Jesus looks at us in our problems and he says, but I put the pool right there. It's time that we as believers stop sitting on our hands and waiting for the hard times to be over. It's time that we as believers stop acting like this reward is cheap just because it was free. God gives us the strength to fight what's holding us back. God gives us a way to overcome our fears. And when the rest of the world tries to say, well, that's just the way things are, God gives us the power and the ability to flip the script, to change the narrative forever by showing his story of love and inevitable glory. Seventy percent. 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within five years. Dude, how? <laughs> right? Like, many of those individuals say hitting the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened to them. Because their reward can lead them to make bad decisions. And enough bad decisions can lead to your reward being squandered away. But this reward, but this reward that God gives to us compels us to make the right decisions. This reward empowers us to go through these days and not be miserable, but to become better than we were yesterday. This reward can never be squandered away because as much joy as it may bring us now, there is even more stored away for us in eternity. Let's pray.